Friday night, March 9th, 2007, our little girl was diagnosed with cancer. It was the most difficult news either one of us had ever heard. That evening, we could barely hold it together and honestly thought it was a nightmare we would eventually wake from. And while it was a nightmare, it was not something we would wake up from. This is real, it is scary. She's our little girl and we love her more than words can express. And right now, all we can do is believe that our merciful and loving God will heal her. Two weeks later, March 26th, 2007. We know that while our family needs the results to be good, we're waiting on some tests. God does not. If God is going to heal our little girl, we must believe that he will heal her no matter the prognosis. Percentages mean nothing to God. I know this in my mind, but my heart is trying to hold on to the truth. But it is hard at this moment, in this time, when it is my daughter's life that is the percentage we are talking about. All morning, I have been singing this song. Great, great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning in thee. Thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness. My singing of this song is not yet because I feel this truth in my heart and emotions, but because I know it is true. Because I need it to be true. Because God is truly all we have at this moment. April 21st, about six weeks after. So far, this round of chemo has been worse. She's thrown up multiple times, including twice this evening. She's also starting to lose her hair. Please pray for her. It is hard to put into words how it feels to hold this little girl while she cries and vomits in the middle of the night. And then things just kept getting worse for me. Part of me was holding on to faith, and part of me was barely holding on. At one point, I had gone for a run, and I came back to the house, and I was shaking. I was so angry at God and myself and the world and life that I grabbed a sledgehammer and started destroying a dog. We made a dog run in our backyard. I just destroyed that fence. Brutalized that thing. Got done, threw the sledgehammer, stomped into the house. Had no idea what I was going to do. Here's a question that went through my head. And all of you are going to answer this question for me because it's an easy question to, ask, to answer for somebody else. It's a much harder question to answer for yourself. A question that went off in my mind. What did I do to cause this? 
if I just loved God more, maybe this would go away. If I hadn't done some of those terrible things that I had done in my past, maybe this would have never happened. If I just prayed harder, then, then God would hear it. It's, I got to pray more. I struggled with guilt. And of course, everybody would say to me, it's not you. You didn't do anything. But how hard is that to say to yourself when you're going through it? How many times in your life have you gone through something that you have struggled so hard with and all of those questions came to your mind? If only I were better. If only I had more faith. If only I haven't done bad things in my life. Today, I want to talk about that struggle. I want to help us work through the hardest struggles of our lives by looking at the hardest struggle that Jesus had in his life. And that's not hyperbole. We see the moments that he struggles that is more than any other description we get anywhere in the scriptures. Open your Bible, if you would, to Mark chapter 14 and verse 32. First, I just want to share this story with you. And I want you to see in this story the human heart of Jesus, unlike anywhere else we see. Mark 14 and verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. It means oil press. It is a garden that is at the foot of the Mount of Olives. From it, you can look across the valley and you can see the temple. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. So far in the scene, everything is pretty normal. This is things Jesus did. More than once, he went off alone and he prayed. More than once, he gave his disciples a command to do something. You guys go across the lake. I'll meet you there. These things are somewhat normal for him. And at this point, he is still the same in-control Jesus that we see pretty much throughout his ministry. Every once in a while, he seems to lose it a little bit. When he overturned the tables in the temple, there's a point where his disciples are asking questions after, they, after he feeds the 5,000, and he gets frustrated with them. And he says, are you still so dull? There's a point where he's so tired he has to sit down by a well and ask somebody for a drink. But throughout his ministry, he still is in control. There's still a sense where whether he is angry or frustrated or tired, He's still in control, and he's still in control right now, at least for this moment. You guys sit here. I'm going to walk over there, and I'm going to pray. But he says to Peter, James, and John, come with me. That's also somewhat normal. These three guys, he also said when a little girl had died, and the home was filled with weeping, 
distraught parents, he called those three to come with him to go inside to minister. Not too long before this scene, what we talked about last week, when he goes up on the mountain to show them the glory of the kingdom, he took these three guys with him. Here's something that I firmly believe. I think these three were his closest friends. And what he's doing right now, we're about to see, I don't think this has much to do with teaching. I don't think this is about them really at all, honestly. I think he's calling his friends to go with him. He's calling those that he's closest to to be with him in a moment that is going to be traumatic for him. Because here's where things start to change. And he took Peter, James, and John, and he began, something happened, something changed. As hard as my daughter's cancer was, her birth was amazing. One of the most beautiful things that ever happened in my life. And I remember the nine months leading up to it. I remember Erin telling me she was pregnant. I remember her trying to get me to feel the baby moving. You know, she felt her, felt her all the time. She's like, no, now, now, and I'm touching, and I'm like, I still can't feel it. Over and over, every dad has that experience. And then at one moment, you do feel it, and you're like, oh, that's creepy. Like something's moving inside of you. I remember that moment. I remember the, the smiles. I remember the evening where she's having contractions, and we're trying to figure out, are they close enough yet? We're, like, timing them. We took off, no, maybe not. We stopped in a parking lot somewhere. And we're like timing things, and all of a sudden, they go from being this far apart to being like this far apart, and we're like, yeah! And I am racing down the toll road to get her to the hospital. And I remember April 16th, 2006, April, I mean, Chris, Easter morning, about 2 a.m., my little girl, my first child, was born. Easter baby, and I remember changing the diaper because that's the thing the dad got to do. You know, she did like all labor and everything, and I get to change the diaper. <laughs> I remember changing that diaper, and I remember for a couple of days, just I'm in awe. I'm I'm just I'm over the moon, and then I remember a night. I'm holding this little child who's like the size of my two hands. At any, I feel like I could just. Close my hands and I would crush this poor little life. Like it's so frail. And all of a sudden it struck me. Oh my goodness. I have to, I have to raise a kid. <laughs> like I have to take care of her. I have to keep her alive. I've got to send her to college. The reality just suddenly like set in. And I cracked for a moment. Like the weight, the pressure, the responsibility, it all became so real. Jesus is about to crack. You need to see this. All of the strength, all of the confidence, all of the being in control that has completely epitomized who he is, the veneer is about to crack. He began to be greatly distressed and troubled. The word distressed 
it means typically alarmed, panicked. It means to, to something happens and you respond in the sense that I did when I'm holding this little girl going, how do I do this? Something in him went, how do I do this? And there was a panic and alarm that set in, followed by troubled. And it means anguished and probably is in response to the alarm. Whatever happened, whatever he realized, he went, how do I do this? And it all just, there was an anguish in him. And he's got these three friends with him. And he says to them, and and they're walking away from the others. And he stops and he says to his friends, my soul is sorrowful, even to the point of death. I am so overwhelmed with grief right now and sorrow that I want to die. Again, it doesn't have anything to do with like, okay, guys, here's your lesson for being disciples. This was, I needed you guys, and I'm conveying to you, and it's such an interesting thing to see Jesus sharing his heart for no other reason than he's in anguish. How many of you have done that? You just needed a friend, you just needed a spouse, and you're just like, I just hurt. I can't tell you how many times I did that through her chemotherapy. I just hurt. And he is so overwhelmed that he wants to die. You've never seen Jesus like this. And then he says to them, Remain here, and I want you to watch. Stay at this point, and I want you to look out. I want you to watch. You're going to see me, by the way, because I'm not going to go very far away. You're going to probably hear me. Here's something that Jesus knows. Judas is coming. He knows this is the night. Judas is coming. But I need time with my father. I want you to watch. I want you to watch me. I want you to watch out because he's coming. Remain here and watch. And going just a little further, he doesn't do what's traditional. Traditionally, he would have stood with his hands up and he would have prayed to God. That was the traditional Jewish stance. But he is troubled and anguish and sorrowful and he falls. He falls to his face in the dirt in the garden. And then Mark tells us, and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. I want this to go away. I don't want this to happen. I want it to just go away. In his own words, it's this. And he said, Abba, Father. And I want you to hear something. This is a really awkward thing. No other gospel has this. And here's why it's awkward. It is awkward because you, I know you've heard this said, that Abba is the Aramaic that means daddy. It doesn't. That is not what that word means. This word, more often than not, was what a grown child would refer to their dad as. It means father, but it is an intimate, personal way of referring to your father. That's why they would say for a kid, it would be the equivalent 
of saying daddy. But it had more than that. This is a personal, intimate address. What Jesus is doing right now is he is falling to his face and he's saying, my father, mine. I remember calling my dad and telling him that my daughter had cancer. And in that moment, I needed my dad. And I talked to my dad. And I just, I mean, I cried for like five minutes. I couldn't say a word. But I needed my father. That's Jesus right now. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. It's interesting, he told this to his disciples. There was a rich man that came, and he wanted to know what he had to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said, obey the commands. And he said, I've done them all. And he says, okay, you have one more thing. There's something standing between you and God. Your possessions have created a wall between you and God. All you need to do is just go sell them, and you'll have eternal life. And it said he went away sorrowful. Same root word as Jesus here. He went away sorrowful because he had so many possessions. And Jesus said, it's so hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom. And the disciples were shocked. They're like, now if he's done all of that, and we know he's blessed by God because he's rich, if he's having a hard time, what does that mean for the rest of us? And he said, all things are possible for God. Well, now it's personal. It's not a theological statement. It's not Jesus just telling them. How many of us are really good at spouting theology to other people when we're not going through something? But now it's Jesus, and he's going through it. But he comes to his father. He falls on his face, and he says, all things are possible for you. And here it is. Remove this cup from me. Hear that for what it is. God, change the plan. I don't want to do this. I want something else. You know what the cup is? It's not just him dying on the cross, as terrible and as awful as that is. It's not just that everybody's going to leave him. They're going to. He's going to be alone. In Jeremiah, in Isaiah, in Revelation, there is a cup of the wrath of God that is poured out on sin. And that's about what is to happen to the Son of God. The perfect, sinless Son of God who has never known any kind of sin at all. He is perfectly holy. And all the sin of the world is about to be put on him. And the wrath of God will be poured out and there will be a moment where he will cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The son of God will know alienation from the father. And it is ripping him apart. All of it. To the point where he says, remove this cup. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. And he came and he found them sleeping. Now remember, it's late at night. They've already done the Passover meal, and they've had a lot of wine in the Passover meal. 
Let me ask you, after Thanksgiving meal, what do you want to do? Imagine it's late at night, and you've done all of that. They fall asleep. Now, there's something interesting that he says here. Um, He says to Peter, Simon, that may be intentional. Remember, he changed his name to The Rock, but he's not calling him The Rock right now. He's fallen asleep when his friend needed him. Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Now, if he's being literal there, Jesus has been on his face for an hour saying, please take this cup. Please let this pass. Yet not what I will. An hour. And here's the thing. Remember what he did at the end? Yet not my will but yours. And yet, look what happens. He says first to them, watch and pray. He changes it. It was remain here and just watch. Now it's pray. You need to pray. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. This line is so important. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and he prayed, saying the same words. Wait a minute. I thought this was already settled. Was not this settled? Did he not pray for like an hour and then come to the end and say, okay, your will? What's he doing now? He's coming back and doing it again? I thought... What is wrong with Jesus? And again, he came back to them. Why is he coming back to them? You know what's interesting is he prays and he says, your will, and here's, I'm speculating, but if it's me, here's what I think happened. He's exhausted and he needs his friends again. And he goes back for some support and they're asleep. And he says, get up. Pray. There is so much temptation coming, temptation to flee, temptation to deny me. Pray. I'm going to go back and do it again. He comes back, and a third time, I'm sorry, he came back again, and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy, and they didn't know what to answer him. Remember, they're his friends, and they've let him down. What do you feel like when you've let somebody down? They just don't know what to say. They're filled with guilt And he came a third time. Wait a minute. Jesus. Like two times you say, yes, God's will, and yet it's still not enough. He comes back again to pray. And he came a third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It's enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinner. Rise and let us be going. The betrayer's at hand. There's no more time. It's over and the passion of the Christ has begun. The clock has started ticking. He is going to the cross. And you know what? From this point, he will be in control again. He'll be the Jesus we're used to seeing. But in this moment, there's a break in that. And I want to tell you that in Christ, we see the way we are meant to struggle. When the things in our lives are not what we want. When the things in our lives are not the plans we want them to be. I want to show you how to struggle. Number one, come to Jesus 
Because Jesus understands, really. He really understands. In this passage alone, he knows what it means to be alarmed and panicked and in anguish and feel so sorrowful he wants to die. You ever felt that? He has. You know what else he knows? He knows what it means to need other people. And he knows what it means for those people to let him down. You know what else he knows? He knows what it's like to seek God over and over and over again, trying to get God to change his mind. You know what else he knows? He knows what it's like to not want God's plan for his life. He knows what that's like. Remove this cup from me. Let this pass. He knows what you are going through. Come to him. He's not gonna judge you. He's not gonna go, man, you pathetic, weak little Christian if you just believed a little bit more. Because he knows. What's it like to go to somebody who's gone through something that you've gone through? I can think of some of the tough things. And when you go and you talk to somebody who's also been through them, you know that they know. And there's a freedom there to be open. Come to Jesus because he knows. Number two, face struggles together because even Jesus did it with others. He could have just said, you guys sit here. I'm gonna go over here by myself and take care of this. He actually said, you guys sit here now. Please, friends, come with me. Now watch with me. Be near me. I'm only gonna walk a little ways away. I want you to be here. And in the midst of my praying to my father, I'm gonna come back and talk to you again. Can I tell you something? It is not strong to stand alone. It is stupid. It is not strong to stand alone. It is stupid. It really is. The idea that we just need to buck up and like, I'm not gonna let anybody else in this. I can do this. We're not made that way, people. It's not weakness, it's human. We are created to need each other, to need God. Don't do this alone. And don't think it's weak to need somebody else. It's human. It's how we're made. And number three, and this is where I will spend the rest of my time, which is gonna to be too much, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Don't condemn or judge yourself for not wanting God's plan. Don't condemn or judge yourself for not wanting God's plan. Even Jesus wanted the plan to change. It is okay to want something different in your life than what God wants. It's just not okay to remain there forever. But here's the thing. We have to fight this struggle in the right way. And I would argue that most people are fighting it the wrong way because they're fighting the wrong thing. I know I did a lot of it. We're fighting the wrong battle. 
How many of you loved the fact that you lost an hour of sleep last night? Isn't that great? You just wake up going, I'm so glad I got to lose that hour of sleep. I wish we could do this every day. Nobody likes that. Now, most of you probably have some idea of the history. 1916, Germany first puts it into effect. 1918, America decides to do it. Longer hours, more work. We need it. War ends. It just is kind of all over the place. It's not until 1966 where the government passes an act to make it all uniform. Because different states and different areas were doing it. Some were, some weren't. It was all over the map. And so they passed the Uniform Time Act in 1966. And what that means is we will all have approximately eight months of daylight saving time and four months of standard time. They fixed the problem, right? Yeah, no, they did not fix the problem. In fact, in some ways, they actually made it worse because part of that act allows individual states to opt out. But you can only opt out into standard time, not into daylight saving time. There's a bunch of states, Texas included right now, that have bills to opt out. But here's what they want. They want to opt into 12 months of daylight saving time. Why? Because that's what we live eight months out of the year. That's what we're actually used to. But we don't have that option. We can only opt into the four-month period and make it 12 months. We enacted something that didn't fix the problem. It just frustrated all of us. I would argue that the way that we deal with our struggles is not actually dealing with the issue. So I'm going to see if I can describe this. It's a somewhat complicated a little bit or complex. I had an issue in my own head. I'm just going to see if I can get it. All right. The problem when we want something different from what God wants is not that there is something wrong with me. When we think that way, like this, and let me go back to the beginning. If only I were a better Christian, if only I had more faith, if only I loved God more, if only I hadn't done these bad things, notice what the focus is, self-condemnation and judgment. That's the problem. It's me. I'm the problem. And when I'm the problem, what do I battle? Me. I battle my emotions my feelings, my past, I fight me. I want to argue with you very, very strongly that that is the wrong focus, and the only thing that does is it gets us dealing with our own issues of self-esteem, our issues of value and worth, our issues of guilt, but it doesn't solve anything because it's the wrong opponent. It's fighting the wrong thing. One of those reasons is this. You just saw in this passage everything Jesus went through, and we're gonna see more that he goes through, right? Was that for nothing? Did he go through that for nothing? Because if that sacrifice meant something, 
you have eternal value. Do you realize that he went through this because God so loved the world? You should never have a doubt of what you are worth. You should never be battling your worth because he has demonstrated your worth. Secondly, because Jesus gives us the right focus. He tells us what we're actually supposed to be battling. And it's not us. We're not the opponent. The opponent is where he says, the spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, don't think right now in terms of Paul. And here's what I mean by that. Many of you, you're gonna hear the word flesh and you're gonna think sinful nature, sinfulness, my flesh. That is not the flesh idea here. This has much more to do with this idea. The spirit is the invisible, immaterial part of you that is connected to God. The flesh is simply the physical part of you that's also part of you. But it is our frailty. It is our weakness. It is the thing where, have you ever been watching a movie and you really, really wanted to stay awake through the entire thing, but halfway through you fell asleep because you just couldn't stay awake? That's the flesh. That's the weakness. And here's what Jesus says to them. The spirit indeed is willing. Now these three guys in particular, these are some guys that really like, I will not deny you. I will stand with you even if everybody else, I will die with you if I have to. James and John, yeah, I can, I can drink the cup that you're gonna drink. What Jesus just said to these guys is, the spirit is willing. I know you guys actually want to do those things. Even as, for a moment, by the way, I think this also applies to Jesus. His spirit is willing. There's a reason he's before the Father and he didn't just walk away. The spirit is willing. He wants to do what God has called him to do. But he is fully human and even his flesh is weak, just like the disciples. You see, the problem is not my attitude or my past or that I'm somehow bad and I gotta condemn myself. It is that I want to do what God wants, especially if I'm a believer, because I've been born again and the spirit of God lives in me. And I want the things that God wants. But I am weak. And the battle is not against self-condemnation or judgment. The battle is against my frailty and my weakness and that thing that I can't just make myself do it. And there's only one way to battle that. Prayer. It's exactly what Jesus did and it's exactly what he tells his disciples to do. This is a spiritual battle over the flesh, not over me being a bad Christian. If I go to that opponent, it's guilt. I go to that opponent, I can't win. The opponent is, no, actually, I want you to accept something. I want you to accept that you actually do want to do what God wants. That you've been born again and the spirit of God lives in you and you are connected to God by your spirit and you want to do the thing God wants. But you know what? Sometimes God's plans suck. I'm sorry, but not just healing my daughter, that sucked. 
And some of the stuff all of you go through, it's the same thing. That is not a plan where God is saying, just rejoice over my plan. Because you know what Jesus didn't do? He did not do this. I don't want this, I don't want this, fine, I want this. I'm excited about going to the cross. I'm excited about being alienated from you. It was not about accepting the plan, it was about accepting the will of God. He chose God's will over his will. He didn't have to like it, but he chose it. And the only reason he had the strength to choose it is because of prayer. Without the prayer, he'd have walked out of the garden just like the rest of us would. He'd have fallen asleep. Prayer gave him the strength to move forward in what he really wanted to do, God's will. We need prayer because our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. And here's the thing, and I want you to hear this. Prayer does not change God. It does one of two things. It either changes the circumstances around you because the power of God works through prayer, or it changes us. It either makes things different, or it makes us different. That's what happened in the garden. Jesus came and said, let this cup pass. He wanted that in those moments. In all of the weakness of the flesh, he wanted that. He wanted a different way. He did not want to be alienated from his father. But through those prayers, and by the way, if you have to go three times, that's okay. If you have to go and say, all right, God, I want to do your will, and then you find yourself the next day going, God, I don't want to do your will again, that is okay. Go back again. Because even Jesus went three times. Don't condemn yourself because you gave in to God and then you wanted to take it back a little while later. Go back to God again. This is a battle that may keep going. But don't battle your judgment and your self-condemnation. Battle the flesh in prayer. I hope that made sense. I don't, I know, I need, I need to, hey, I got a thumbs up. I got somebody telling me, you need to stop, we're late. Um, <laughs> I like the thumbs up, that's better. Guilt, condemnation, judgment is so damaging. It hurts us so badly. It keeps us in a place of darkness. It keeps us separated from the love of God. Not because he's not reaching out, but because we won't embrace it. God loves you. And he showed it in his son. God loved us no matter what my daughter was going through, no matter what we were going through. He was there, and we had to keep coming, and we did keep coming, and both of us had times where we were trusting God, and we had times when we were not, 
We have times where we're like, God, I don't know what you're going to do, but we know you love us. And no matter what happens, we're going to stick with you. And we had times where we were going, God, what in the world are you doing? And part of me hates you right now because you would do this to my daughter. But the one thing that we did is we kept coming. Keep coming, no matter what you're going through. Keep coming, because he listens. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son. Jesus, thank you for going through what you did, for giving everything you gave. Thank you for your struggle. We cannot feel somehow that we're bad or terrible people because we struggle. But also thank you for your words, for us to pray, to come to our Father. May we all do that. And may we come to understand more and more how great the love of our God is and to trust him through every struggle we go through. In Jesus' holy name, amen.